And in studio tonight, we got Michael Diamond with Upstream Strategy Group. Hello there. Good day. And we've got Saron Gebras, Gebras Selassie. Perfect. Gebras Selassie. <clears throat> Human rights lawyer and former mayoral candidate in Toronto and hard last name to say, but I'll master it. <laughs> I'm going to master this. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, big headline that's kind of been um, ongoing for the last couple of decades. But uh, John Tory has uh, been leading this call on a national handgun ban for a long time. Now he says, no, no, Toronto-wide ban is more politically palpable. It was in 2014, though, that he said that a handgun ban is meaningless. It was a meaningless gesture. Tomorrow, Mr. Trudeau says he was going to sit down with Tory to discuss this issue. What do you want to hear, uh, Saran? I'm, you know, it's 2019. This happened in 2005, and I can assure you, in 2025, we'll be talking about the same issue about homicides at an all-time high. So they need to get serious and actually solve the gun violence problem, which is not rocket science. It's it it shouldn't be okay. So give me your three-pronged approach on the fly of how. What would your solutions be? I would eliminate poverty, which is possible. Well, how do you get rid of that? That's not an easy one. Create jobs for all the young people in all the neighborhood improvement areas. Because if you have a job, you're not going to engage in gun violence or in conflict with the justice system. And affordable housing for all, which is, you can probably assume how that would be connected to a gun violence problem. Because gun violence is overwhelmingly a working class problem. We don't have gun violence in Forest Hill, for example, or Bridal Path. Well, we like we do now. Last week. We do now. Look at we. It's it's an all over the city problem now, and that's why I think people are fine. It's sad, but people are finally waking up and saying this is enough. It's because it's not just bad areas. It's happening everywhere, Michael. It's not happening and, everywhere. Well, well it, it happened. happened on the it happened a block week. and a half from my house in downtown Toronto a month ago to a nanny. I mean, it it happened in Bridal Path last week. It happened at Queen Street outside the Black Bull last uh, summer. Where where is the majority happening? Ninety percent. I'll, I'll go for 90%. Where, think, where are they happening? I think the, the a large amount do, but the point is the cancer is now spreading. Um, but again, those are some of the solutions, which of course take a lot longer to do, but uh, you know. Well, those are all good goals, and right. I think they're all something they that would time, make a much better society, yeah. obviously, so I think it would have impacts on gun violence, absolutely. Uh, some other quicker more tangible things let's let's talk about the border let's strengthen security at the border stop having illegal guns uh migrating into this country illegally let's let's put an end to that let's talk about school resource officers uh having communities that know police officers i think is a very good way to create trust between communities and law enforcement and uh i I think those are two places i would start john tory was right in 2014 meaningless gesture then it's a meaningless gesture now uh anyone who used a gun to commit a crime broke a whole bunch of laws in the process of doing that so one more law isn't going to deter them yeah uh, the bottom line is um handgun ban is a soundbite i do not want to hear tomorrow because honestly that's all we're hearing is handgun bans and, and you 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 have to agree that does it's not going to work it's no, not gonna no work. it's not going to work I, again in 2005 i remember i we met with uh at the time paul martin was the prime minister and that was... You give uh, him a very French flair. Give for a man from <laughs> Windsor. <laughs> <laughs> it just comes out. Maxime Bernier. It just, I can't help it. <laughs> Francophone at heart. Um, yeah, so anyhow, so that summer was called the Summer of the Gun, and then there were task forces, and there was, was an inquiry, and there was this sort of influx of flooding of funding for youth programs, but they never tackled the root causes. So here we are again, and it's deja vu. 
All right, let's talk about the sister of an American uh, tourist. Um, the sister of an American tourist, or the, I think it was the woman, actually, that this was a sister of, uh, is China D. says the father of one of the um, British Columbia teens uh, needs to accept his share of responsibility for her family's sorrow. Her name is Kennedy Deese, and her uh, sister China was found alongside her um, Australian boyfriend. Here is um, Alan Schmegelski uh, playing what she calls the victim on Australian 60 Minutes last night. Oh, I, 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 I just, I, I'm so sorry for what's happened, okay? Whether it's my son or whether it's something else, we don't know. I have just lost my son. I know exactly how you feel. Mm, not so sure he knows exactly how she feels. I mean, yeah, he's in a lot of pain, Michael, but uh, I'm not sure that's the same. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer. I think that it's possible that both of these people are going through a tremendously uh, grief-striking period right now, and I'm, I'm willing to cut the fellow some slack. And uh, did he have offspring who did something terrible? Yeah. Does that necessarily make him a bad person? I, I'm not willing to go there. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, without question, there's no winners in any of this. Um, but I mean, the family obviously wants someone to take responsibility. I'm not sure dad could have stopped what happened. There has been so much sympathetic coverage to dad and to to the sons in the media over and over again about how they were alienated and were caught up with the wrong crowd. And I would have to agree. I think the parents should take more responsibility and and uh, what were your kids doing? They were affiliated with hate groups, neo-Nazi groups. So I, yeah, I'm, I, I don't feel particularly empathetic towards um, that apology or to, you know, I think the parent has a role to play in all of this. Let's talk a little bit about a uh, growing number of newcomers to Canada um, are ending up either in shelters or they're ending up homeless on the streets. And this is according to new documents uh, released by the government. Um, National Shelter Studies looked at the federal picture right across the board and found a very sharp spike in Syrian refugees either living on the streets or in shelters. Mm-hmm. And Todd Smith, you know, Minister of Children, Community and Social Services, basically said, yeah, the Trudeau Liberals are not living up to the responsibility. Uh, they haven't paid us back. And then tri- Trudeau came to town today where he said uh, he was coming with a check to top up legal aid for refugees and immigrants, but he didn't waste time taking shots at who he thinks is to blame. Take a listen. Yet another conservative government, the government of Doug Ford, is walking away from services to the most vulnerable. Um, it's really frustrating for me and I think for all Canadians that we keep moving back. Uh, or there's conservative politicians that keep trying to move us back and make the most vulnerable hurt for decisions that they make. I mean, conservative politicians like to say they're for the people, but then they end up cutting services for the most vulnerable. It's what they do. All right, so it's what, it's what, it's what conservatives do, Saran. Here's the thing, though. This is a federal issue. It is federal money that has to be paid on this issue, and a court told them as much, and the province has no money. Well... Legal fees, you know, having covered courts for however many years, cost a fortune. And uh, when Ford, you know, I remember I just got an email saying there will be no funding for legal aid, for uh, sort of legal aid certificates, effective immediately for immigrants and refugees. So it's federal, though. It's federal jurisdiction. It is. A, yeah. it, that's fair. But at the end of the day, like we, you know, we can't have folks languishing in court, unable to get representation in their most, you know, in their in such a vulnerable state. So, uh, I mean, the real question is, why do we have our courts sort of flooded with 
like all of these files. It's so unmanageable. Because the government invited it. I mean, that's the thing. Trudeau invited all these people here. We now have a backlogged system that can't handle it. And they're expecting the provincial government to pay all the legal fees. And the, the it's not their jurisdiction. It's a federal jurisdiction. It is a federal jurisdiction issue. And that's why he stepped up to the plate. Right. Because what, what were we going to do? That didn't sound sound like he came. No, that sounded like he came to town to say, big, bad Doug Ford cut you off. So we're going to give you the money that we're supposed to pay anyway. Yeah, like this was, <laughs> not, a hero, this was not a heroic move by the prime minister. It's frankly taking care of the responsibilities that are uh, his government's obliged to take care of by the British North America Act. So, like, thank you, Prime Minister, for doing your job. I'd like to thank Todd Smith and Doug Ford and Lisa McLeod, who was the minister there before uh, Minister Smith, for holding firm and forcing the hand of the federal government, because I wouldn't expect the federal government to fund education for Ontario, but uh, Ontario shouldn't be expected to fund legal services for immigrants and refugees when that's the peer review of the federal government. So I'm glad we had a government and hold firm on that. Yeah, I'm, it, glad, I'm glad there's funding. At the end of the day, there's funding now. But it should so. never have been like this. It should have just been there. I mean, Carolyn Mulrooney wrote to them in, in May as the Attorney General and said, we need the funding because we've got to get these cases moving. And they were completely ignored by it. So I just find it a bit rich that Mr. Trudeau now comes to town taking swipes every which way when just look in the mirror. Well, I mean, we Ford got booed by like thousands at the Raptors game for a reason. It's not just it's not just the the cuts to legal aid funding. It's the cuts to autism. It's the cuts left and right. You can't go anywhere without being confronted with some it's kind spending of spending more cut. money, investing more money to healthcare and to education. Well, that's so I think a lot of people are. I wouldn't spin. call these cuts, but I think you know the the reason that these vulnerable people who the prime minister pinpointed today were left in legal limbo was because of his government's inaction. Yeah. Impossible. No, not so much. We got Michael Diamond and Saron Gebra Selassie. Perfect. Getting it. Getting it. You got my name right, too. Michael, it happens once in a while. Our friend Andy Stitton, of course, is stuck on a plane, missing out on all the fun. Um, let's talk a little bit about the leaders' debate. Uh, they have said that um, they have got a, a debate team going and all five political parties will participate with the notable exception of the People's Party leader Maxime Bernier. So we'll have the NDP, Green, Liberal, Conservative and Bloc leaders invited, not Bernier. And uh, I'll just point this out, Saran, that this decision was made before May actually won a second MP seat. And I think we should point out that the Bloc is only running candidates in Quebec. So even if you hate Maxime Bernier or don't like his opinions, why, why shouldn't he be given a voice? He's got a full slate of candidates he's running. Faith Goldie was was barred from all the mayoral debates last year. I mean, there's a limit, right? Like, we can't just... Uh, I think Maxime Bernier, a lot of his content is really crosses the line, and so... I would not put him anywhere near that category. I mean, he mean... I mean to be honest, there are some similarities between the two of them in terms of their politics. But again, he is an elected official, MP, and, um, you know, he's got candidates elected in every single riding. I mean, would it not make... Appointed. For, he has candidates appointed, appointed in every Sorry, riding. appointed. Well, what, however he's got it, he's running a full slate. He's got 100 more candidates right now than the Liberals do. That's not enough of a reason. You could start a political party tomorrow if you wanted to and no, start appointing... <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Look, I'm a little surprised by this because Elizabeth May in 2008 was included in the uh, uh, leaders' debate, and she didn't have a seat. Her party had never won a seat in the House of Commons. They were polling, you know, single digits. So a very similar situation to Maxine Bernier, with the exception of Mr. Bernier actually being in the House of Commons. But that said, uh, I think you know the bloc shouldn't be in national debates because they don't have a. They're not running a slate of candidates across the country, so I would eliminate them. 
Elizabeth May's participation in the debates has often been as almost an accessory to the Liberal Party of Canada. She's their little, you know, their green wing. And uh, uh, mark my word, if there's a minority government, she's going to be one of the most powerful people in the country because of that, because she's an accessory to the Liberal Party and she's there to attack the Conservatives. So, so I don't really think uh, her participation in the debates all that useful. Uh, Maxime Bernier, no, I wouldn't have him in the debates. He's polling in the single digits. He's not going to be a uh, factor in this election. Uh, uh, you need to have criteria, and it needs to be reasonable polling numbers, representation of the House of Commons, which he obviously has, uh, and and other metrics that he's just not meeting. So I would not have Mr. Bernie in the debate. I'd love to see him in the debate, though, frankly, because uh, as my friend Nick Kuvala says, Maxime Bernier is trilingual. He speaks English, French, and fraud. And it would be <laughs> fun to hear Mr. Bernier debate himself, because every position he has today is a position that he disagreed with when he ran for conservative leader, or he disagreed with as a member of Stephen Harper's cabinet. The man is, is a flake, and it would be certainly fun to see him disagree with himself, but uh, overall happy to uh, have him fade into the dust bowl of history. Yeah, I know, but if we're going to look at it like that, the rest of them can fade too. I mean, uh, I'm not impressed. I'm okay. i got to be honest, I'm not impressed with a whole lot of them, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with debate time. Uh, if you sat down to watch the Rogers Cup Sunday to uh, hope for a, a match of all match matches, it was uh, Canadian Bianca Andreescu uh, trying to beat Serena Williams and then uh, the second I walked inside it was over. I was like, what happened? What, what happened? It was 19 minutes in and it was over. Uh, and Williams was out with an injury and a Canadian ended up winning this championship Whoa! for the first time in 50 years. Does she get the win, Michael, or will it always met, be met with a yeah, but she, you know, yeah, but you know, Williams was out, yeah, but well, a win? a win is a win, and there's only one metric that matters, so uh, this, this young, young woman won, but where she really won was with the grace in which she handled the unfortunate circumstances of her victory. Obviously, she should be thrilled and proud and excited, but the fact that she took time to uh, congratulate Ms. Williams on her career and talk about what an inspiration she was and console her on what was a very difficult day, I think showed tremendous grace and class and uh, have a lot of time for this young woman, and she should have a bright future in sports and and beyond. Yeah, I mean, she was Canadian. <laughs> she, it was just a very Canadian moment. You know, here's her idol. She's about to, you know, hug this idol that's uh, now going to pass over the trophy. Yeah, I think she's a she's a pioneer. <clears throat> she made history. She, you know, her, her legacy will be undisputed. And I mean, the, you know, the technicality aside, I know Serena Williams was injured, but at the end of the day, there's one winner and she took the crown. So I think all of Canada is super proud of her and also really nice that she's a young person 19 years old albeit if i paid that much money for a ticket i would be none too happy none too happy that yeah. that's what i got you know it's uh it's the uh cost of attending a live event that would be it yeah it's kind of like when you go to the racehorse and uh, the, they go down and that's not what you pay for but it is part of the game where in auto racing Whereas you auto like ra the crashes well you do yeah there's been a few doozies of them uh montreal police i think this is an interesting topic uh, god bless them 40, 42 times more tickets to cyclists than Toronto cops last year. They slapped cyclists with 12,285 tickets, Michael, compared to Toronto issuing only 292 tickets. It's a, it's a huge cash grab, but frankly... No, it's a... No, but it's genius because... 
I cycle, I drive, but I am sick and tired of cyclists not following the rules of the road. Here, for every here. good cyclist there is, there's 20 bad ones that just make it dangerous for everyone. Cyclists are entitled uh, so often. They operate outside of the rules of the road and the laws of the road. Let's not forget these aren't rules. These are laws. And good on the police force of Montreal. Not only do they have those snazzy cargo pants that they wear out there, <laughs> well, but they're actually protest, enforcing no. <laughs> the law. I'm thrilled to see this, and I would love to see the police in Toronto hold... Uh, cyclists, many of whom I would put on the domestic terror list, by the way, <laughs> to account. They are the bane of, of my existence. Some of them are very scary. They are, some of them are very scary, Saron, and, and there and is mean. an intent entitlement, but I don't understand why we, you know, crack down on the cars, yes, but you've got to crack down on pedestrians as well as cyclists, or we're just going to continue having carnage, no? Last year, the cyclist lobby was so strong to the mayoral race. I remember the cycling They're terrifying, issues. aren't they? They're, they're mm, a really effective like lobby. I actually I like you too I'm just saying you're very serious (laughs) they take their rights really seriously okay but then then let's jump off that point if they take the rights seriously and I don't I don't have an issue with cyclists being on the road I just worry that there are so many rogue cyclists who do their own thing that for all those who do pay attention it makes it almost impossible to navigate the roads uh, I, I'm surprised cyclists are as brave as they are to be uh, riding around in Toronto streets. There's been so many fatalities and, you know, it's really, I think, uh, I, m- I remember I learned a lot from Keysmat last year on this. Uh, there's, it's, who? it's Jennifer Keysmat. This is She's the one who pulls up in her bike in the trunk of her SUV. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> You're not supposed to. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Well, anyhow. So, I mean, you know, on the list of concerns, I, I just, I hope. That they stay as safe and alive. But shouldn't the cops be going after those who break the rules? Like if you if you approach a stop sign and you blow through it, I hate to break. I get it that it's a pain in the rear end to put some leg power into it, but you've got to stop. Well, I you do. Know, they should enforce these rules because, for example, I've unfortunately on occasion had a heavy foot uh, on, on in mm-hmm. my car, and I've been pulled over and I've paid a uh, hefty fine for that. And what have I done? I've moderated my behavior and I, I exercise more discretion. So let's start applying that to cyclists who should have to be licensed and insured and we should have their little uh, license plate so we can call in when they do something. You know, last summer I was driving my convertible car and was attacked by a cyclist. So it was very very concerning. He yelled. He struck my car with his hand. And I, if I did that, it would have been some sort of a crime. But he doing it with impunity. Very upsetting. Well, there's a whole lot more cyclists that are getting Hurt than uh, well, right, the but, other but way again, around. But Matthew th- Shepard being the most famous example, perhaps in Ontario. Right, but again, I covered that case, mm-hmm. and I mean, the video kind of showed it all. I don't want to go back to that because no one certainly deserves to die on the road. But that goes to the point of what I'm saying. If we want people to be safe on the road, shouldn't they all be obeying the rules of the road? Because if you just have the cars paying attention and obeying the laws. It doesn't matter if you're the best cyclist or walker in the world. You're not going to win against a car if you screw up. Sure, but we need the infrastructure the in, in the city. This We want Toronto to become like the most bicycling-friendly city in all of Ontario. Hey, maybe even all of Canada if possible, right? Because we need to incentivize folks to get out of their cars, walk, bike, especially in light of a climate crisis and all of these <laughs> other issues. So we... 
ride our bikes. We won't be eating meat. What else aren't we doing? Oh, now we're only supposed to poop every other day. No, we can eat meat. What? When did they add that? I read about it yesterday. Oh. I'm like, uh-huh. This, uh, this better be a Beaverton article, but I'm like, oh, so now we're really going to do that? Well, okay. here's the thing. If cyclists want to be treated as vehicles, they need to operate as vehicles uh-huh. at all times. So they can't go in their mind between being vehicles and pedestrians. So pick a lane, literally, stick with it, and we'll all be safer. I'm I ride car. my bike like I drive my car. I shoulder check, and I'm a geek about Good. it because I'm terrified. You shouldn't drive your bike, but if you do, Ride. that's the way to do Ride. it. Okay. God, you're like sound like my husband. Stop being such a. Detail. You have a car. Yes, I have a bike, and you too. don't have a DUI, as far as I know. No, I do so, not. Okay. <laughs> no, bike. I do not. Well, you know where to go to. <laughs> drop the bike. All right, guys, I got to leave it there. But thank you very much, Michael Diamond and Saran Gebra Selassie. Thank Yay, you. me. I got it on the last one. Hey, we'll you got my name again. So. All right, guys, this counterpoint brought to you by our friends over at Pizzaville, 416-736-3636 or pizzaville.ca. They will get you all set up. Gun, uh, wait, wait, the bike lobbyist, uh, Michael Diamond is to my left. Bug him. Go to him. We'll uh, pick up a couple of things, including keeping an eye on Hong Kong, which I think is reaching a crescendo for the protesters. We'll talk about that. And uh, price of the fake fashionable goods. More expensive for a Toronto woman than she thought. We will talk about that coming up in just a minute here on Point. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.